I believe that not only does, one of, does God want 2017 to be the best year of your life, I believe he wants to give you a capability you have never even dreamed of to live a new life. And to that end, we're going to spend the rest of this year teaching you how to accept that capability because it's not something you can devise on your own. In order to lead a new life, as we said last week, you've got to leave behind the old life. In order to leave the, live the life of the Spirit, you've got to leave behind the life of the flesh. In order to live a life with capacities that are beyond yours, you have to put your capacities into a subservient role for the greater capacities that you're given. Let me explain what I just said. A lot of us need to give up our illusion of control. Has anybody discovered that you're not in control? I mean, even the things you thought you were in control of, you're not in control of. Anybody discovered that yet? I'm going to tell you where, where that illusion comes from momentarily. But let me, let me start off with the first lines of our um, scripture text. Uh, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now what... Wait a minute. Paul is one of the smartest guys around at this time. There wasn't a pedigree religiously or academically that Paul didn't have. Paul was a brilliant man who wrote a good portion of our New Testament. Why in the world would he say, I was determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified? Here's the first key. If you want a new life, and God wants you to have a new life. Not, God not only wants you to have a new life, God wants all the life around you to be new. It says that in Revelation 21.5. Behold, I am making all things new. Let me tell you a secret. If you change, everything around you will change. You will see everything differently. We said last week, in order to do that, you have to leave behind some of the old things that you thought were so important, but turn out not to be very important or effective, especially regret and failure. That part of your life that God's already paid for, and you got you to get over, you know, obsessing about it, all right? You just got to let it go. But when we baptize folks next week, you know what baptism is? Death. <laughs> when you go down under that water, that's a, that's a burial. It says that in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. That's your old life. You know, when you fall, when you're water skin, let go of the rope. It'll drag you around until you do. You got to let go of your failures, let go of your regrets. And then it says, so that as Christ was, I'm sorry, 
into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There it is. For we have become linked with him in the likeness of his death. I'm sorry. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now let let me tell you how counterintuitive we must live our lives. I know all of us like to be in control. <laughs> as, 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 I, I mean, of course we do. You know, we don't want to depend on anybody else. There was, let me tell you about two trees in the Bible, okay? There was a tree, you remember, planted in paradise. And that tree was very attractive. It not only appealed to our appetites, the tree was good for food, but it appealed to our pride because it was desirable to make one wise. And it appealed to our sense of control. If we eat of this tree, we will become like God. We will be in control. We won't have to depend upon God. We will become like God. And so we went for it. How many, how many temptations in this world look like they're going to put you in control? I mean, your anger, your, 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 your knowledge, your, you know, if I just know enough, you know, so and so. What came out of that tree? Separation. Shame. And death. But there was another tree. This was was in the shape of a cross on Calvary. And everything to see there was repulsive to us. It meant we had to give ourselves fully to God, even when it looked like sacrifice. It, it meant that we would endure pain. But what came from that tree? freedom, life, love. There are so many of us who want to stay in control. We got to give that up. God's new life says, no, I've got something else for you. Something better than your control is my control. Because I really do control everything. And I really am working in everything for your good. We've been over this, haven't we? I work all things together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. And therefore, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It also says in Galatians chapter 2, 20, It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. All right? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let me me, me tell you what that means. When it says, I am crucified with Christ, this is what all of us who have received Christ have been through, 
or at least partially understood. That's in the perfect, indicative, passive tense and mood. When a verb in Greek is in the perfect, it means something has happened that's going to have ongoing effects. You don't need to keep doing it over and over again. It's going to have ongoing effects. When it's in the indicative voice, it means you don't have to figure it out. You just have to recognize it. It's indicated. Just read it for what it is. And when it's in the passive voice, you don't have to achieve it. You don't have to achieve it because it's already been achieved for you. You just have to receive it. If you're willing to receive it, there are two kinds of religions in this world. Two kinds of trees, two kinds of religions. Now, if you Google how many different kinds of religions are in this world, you will come up with varying counts somewhere between 4,200 and 4,300 distinct religions in this world. Over 4,000 distinct religions in this world. How come I say there's only two? Because there's only two. Here's one type of religion. What I can do for God. Here's the other type of religion. What God has done for me. Every religion save the Christian faith is what can I do for God? How can I be good enough? How can I deserve God's love? How can I, how can I be better and better so that God will be more and more pleased with me? This, this such a strong draw toward that control. I got to be in charge even of my faith that there is a good number of Christians who have ushered their version of Christianity over into that first kind. How many Christians you know just driving themselves crazy trying to be good enough? Walking around hitting themselves in the head, you idiot, I can't believe you did that again. Totally missed the point. The point is that because we're wired to go askew, because of our original sin, God's already done all this. You don't have to earn God's love. He's already decided that. For God so loved the world. You know who that is? Y'all, all y'all. See, he's already made up his mind about you and he's not about to change it. There's nothing you can do to lose it. When he knit you together in your mother's womb, he was your father. He loved you. And he still loves you. And when he went to that cross, it was while we were yet sinners. While we did, when we didn't even know him. Yet he died for us. It's that kind of love. The question is, are you going to accept it or not? Or you just keep having to earn it? Oh, I got to earn the love. No, you don't. No, you really don't. Two kinds of religions. What's up to you and what's up to God? Which one do you want? 
because there's only one accurate kind. And it's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. As a matter of fact, if we choose Christ to be our, and let me say one more thing. This is, this is really important. I know everybody wants to be good, but you gotta be careful with that. Somebody once said, the worst form of human badness is human goodness if it makes us think we don't need salvation. Let me say that again, because your head will blow up if you think about this a while. The worst form of human badness is human goodness if it makes you think you don't need a savior because you're good enough, a redeemer, because you'll figure it out. You know, practically every service we have folks worshiping with us who are in jail. And they are blessed. Now tell me, let me tell you why they're blessed. They're blessed because most of them will look around and they'll say, you know, not the life I want for myself. Not the life I want for my family. I want a different life. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. But let me ask you this. What if your cell happens to be on the 13th floor of a bank building and you're pulling down a six-figure income and you go to Little League games and you're a nice guy? Is it a little bit more difficult for you to say, I need a new life. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. Because you know, that's what the Bible says about you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you can't fix your life like it is right now because no matter how much you want it to be in control, it's not in your control. No matter how much you do right, it'll still go wrong. And so therefore, all of us need a savior. All of us need a savior. Now let me tell you, we need at least three things from a savior and a redeemer and someone whose identity we take on. We need God's ability, not our ability. Our ability is way too limited. We need God's ability. Look at, look at what else it says in our sermon text. Verse four, it says, and my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know what you need in your life? Same thing I need in my life, the power of God. I don't care how hard I try, I need the power of God. I can't fix my life, I need the power of God. I can't fix my circumstances. I need the power of God. And the good news is this. The Bible says in Galatians 4.4 that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Now, you think, 
I'm sure that that's just about Christmas and not. What happened at Christmas was the beginning of the sun coming into your life at just the right time. You know, there was an ancient poet, Horace, Roman poet, who died just before Christ was born. He's a brilliant man. He's the one who coined the phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. He probably was responsible for Nike's motto because one of his, one of his uh, uh, little edicts was, don't think, just do, just do it, okay? And he used to teach how to develop a plot. And he taught his students, as you are developing any plot, never introduce a God until that plot has become so entangled that only a God can untangle it. Now he was polytheistic as they all of them were before Christ. But I gotta tell you, this is God's theme song. When your life becomes such a mess, you can't fix it. And <laughs> could I just say, that's all y'all. <laughs> that's me too. It's time to introduce a God. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. When the, God, when the time fully comes, God keeps sending his son into your life, into your circumstances. That's what it means. All things are working together for good to those who love you and love me and are called according to my. That he's there already. It says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I want to I teach you to see with the eyes of Jesus. You keep calling God into your life. He's already there. He's already there. You keep saying, God, I want to inform you of these circumstances. He already knows. He's right in the middle. And he's working to make it better and better. We just need to be able to see him. It says, I love Jehoshaphat's prayer. In 2 Chronicles. Chapter 20, verse 12. For our God, oh, our God, will you not judge them? He had a whole army coming against him. Some of you have a whole bunch of circumstances coming against you right now. And if you don't, wait a few days and you will. Because it's the character of life. It's just, it's just our life. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do but our eyes are on you. Wait a minute. I taught you about two kinds of trees and two kinds of religion. Could I teach you about two kinds of prayer? There's really only two kinds of prayer in this world. Oh, there's lots of different varieties and lots of different words, but really only two kinds. The one kind says, Lord, give me strength. And the other kind says, Lord, let me see you. Our eyes are on you. You see, it's God's ability 
And it's God's path that we need. Because most of the time we don't know what to do. Even if God would give us strength, we couldn't be confident what to do. Life is complicated. I know some of you wear those, those WWJD bracelets, and that's very nice. It is. Very, you know, what would Jesus do? Because it is supposed to help us clarify what we should do. How's that working out for you? Can I just say, you know, I could wear one of those. I still wouldn't know what to do. I ask that question all the time. It's complicated. It really is. We don't always know. We can't always figure out what would Jesus do. How many times do you help somebody out before you become an enabler? It's complicated, isn't it? Yeah, we don't always know what would Jesus do. And therefore, the right decision shouldn't always weigh on you. It should never weigh on you. I had a little girl in my, in my office. Well, she's 24. Everybody younger than 60 is a little girl to me. But, <laughs> but she was competent. Oh, man, she's living for Jesus. And so she was so afraid of making the wrong decision. She just wanted to make the right decision. How many of you are like, I just got to know I'm making the right I said to her, you know what? As long as you're making a decision in order to love God better and love others better, you can't make the wrong decision. God's in this. It's not just your decision. God's in this. You got to open your eyes and you got to see him. You've got to know. So let me just suggest, keep your WWJD bracelets, but I want you to transfer one word. Not what would Jesus do, what will Jesus do? I want you to start looking for what Jesus will do in your circumstance. Because he is in your circumstance. And God is active. And God is working together for good, all things together for good, to, to you who love God and call according to his spirit. What will Jesus do? That's what you need to see. That's what I want to teach you to see. And then our identity. Jesus is our identity. Everybody keeps going, I, I don't know what God wants me to become. Yeah, you do. I know I've told all of you that you are made for a special purpose, and you will, you were. And a lot of you come say, I don't know what my purpose is. Can I just tell you to relax? God very seldom reveals that ahead of time. He usually reveals that in process, all right? Because God doesn't want you to jump ahead and go in your own control, in your own power, in your own strategy. So he's not going to tell you ahead of time, you know, what your, what your general, what your specific purpose is in everything. But this is what we know. This is, how, this, is, this is enough of what we know. Our identity is Jesus Christ. That's the important part. The Bible says this, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. Let me just, just say this to you. Everything you're going through right now is so that you can be more like Jesus. You can look more like Jesus. You can love more like Jesus. You can serve more like Jesus. And you can 
see and think. Eventually, when you get through this training that we're offering, you'll be able to see and think more like Jesus because you have the mind of Christ. You just haven't been trained to use it. This is what it says in Romans uh, 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, that'd be y'all. All y'all. He didn't see one person online in the sanctuary go, huh, who are you? He made every one of you. He foreknew and also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what does it mean to have Christ as our identity? It means we walk Christ every day in his power for his purpose. That takes some training. But it's God's intention for all of us. Norman Cousins, and I'll, I'll close with this, and, and then we're gonna, I'm going to have an altar call this morning. Just heads up. So start gripping your seat real tight right now. <laughs> your legs will work when it comes time. Norman Cousins was coming across the Atlantic, and he, he met somebody on this ship who was a Hindu priest. And they got in a conversation, and he said, why are you going to America? He said, I'm going as a missionary. So Cousins just thought, well, he's going to try to convert people to Hinduism. And so he just said it out loud. He said, so, so you're going to go over there and try to convert people to Hinduism? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm going over there to convert Christians to Christianity. Cousin looked at him and said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I know enough about your faith and about your country to know this. Christianity cannot exist in the abstract. It cannot survive in the abstract. And most of the people in your country have made God into a theory or a concept or a belief. He said, my intention in going over is to confront Christianity as a custom in your country and challenge Christians to actually practice the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ every day of their life not only personally, but nationally, or stop using the name of Jesus as an excuse for whatever you want to do. Look out. And then he said, I'm going to save Christianity for Christians. Ouch. Man, had to have that pointed out by a Hindu priest. Ouch. Here's how you make a new start. And if you're going to have a new life, you've got to have a new start. One, two, three, go. You've got to come to the place where you say, God, you're my life. You're my life. I'm not in control of my life. You're in control of my life. And I want to do whatever you want to do. Just teach me to see you every day. Teach me to rely on you when I don't see you every day. But I want you 
to be my Savior and my Redeemer and my identity.